0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Last week, we looked at how God delivered Israel from the oppression of ancient Egypt, and we saw how Egypt along with all the other nations of the world were rooted in Babylon and specifically with Nimrod. And it was interesting. In fact, let's look at that Genesis 11. Genesis 11 and verse one, we saw that the whole earth was of one language. So everybody spoke the same language. But not only that, in addition to speaking the same language, what they spoke about was also the same. They all all had the same concept, the same ideology. So the whole earth was of one language and one ideology. And, And we learned that that ideology was that the spearhead of that ideology was Nimrod. And it was interesting, if you were listening to the news uh, this week, that the city of Nimrud was in the news, obviously named after Nimrod. And that, in fact, if you go to Genesis 10, and it's again a shame what, uh, what ISIS is doing, trying to destroy the, the memory of mankind, the history of mankind. Uh, it's a real shame. What we see here in Genesis 10 and verse 8, that Cush begat Nimrod. So we see he's the grandson of Ham. So Noah, the great-grandson of Noah, Cush begat Nimrod. And he became a tyrant in the earth. And he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty one against the Lord. Mighty hunter against the Lord. And the beginning, so he was a tyrant and his kingdom began in Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. So it began in Babylon. Out of that land went forth Asher, so the Assyrians, and built Nineveh, and the city of Rehoboth, and Kala. And this Kala what the Hebrews called Kala is what the Arabs called Nimrud. So we see that Nimrud is this city that was built and established by Nimrod. And in fact, all of our civilizations, all of our cities, you know, as I travel and go from city to city, they're not very different. Maybe different language, different signs, but the basic structure from city to city, more or less the same. And and we see that all of these nations have their root in Nimrod, with one exception. So, So we learned actually last week that when God confused the language, he didn't take the ideology away from them. He just took their ability to speak to one another away from them. So they went their separate ways with the same ideology. And so that's why we see this Nimrod religion everywhere, whether you look at Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Islam, Christianity. It's all the same. With the same symbols. The same ideology. Because it all has the same root. With one exception. And that exception is Abraham. And his children. The children of Israel. God established them as a nation separate and apart from the nations of the world. So the ideology of Israel was to be different. And so we see now these oppressors wiping out history. And that's that's sort of one of the first acts we see. When an oppressor rises to power, one of the first things he or she does, burn books, destroy history, remove access to history. Because people can be manipulated when they don't have context. And so, this is no surprise when we see ISIS trying to destroy history so that they can say, give their version, their interpretation of the meaning of life. And we don't have facts that we can check and say, well, that doesn't make sense because all the history has been wiped out. So, Satan has high regard for history because God has high regard for history. And that's why our Bible begins with Genesis so that we have context. And then we have all these books, so, so we have these, we have Genesis, we have the Pentateuch, the first five books, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we, we have these books, and then we see how they play out in the historical books. So as we read Judges, as we read uh, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, we're looking at how what, what is foundational plays out through history. And then we see the same thing in the New Testament where we have the foundational books, the Gospels, and then we have the book of Acts, where we see how the foundational concepts that Christ taught play out in history. So so history is very important to God. And look at this in Exodus 13. Could I? Thank you. Exodus 13, and we looked at this last week as well, verse 14. And let's just see how history matters to God. Thanks so much. Exodus 13, and verse 14. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come. So in the future, you're going to have young people come up who don't know what happened. They don't have the history. But you're going to be doing certain things that call back to what happened in the past. And when they see you doing these things in the present, they're going to ask you why. This is a teaching moment. So this is a moment for you to give your children historical context. Because people are established and rooted and grounded with history. So I'm going to give you some customs That will stay with you, that will give you opportunity to establish your children with history. So, in time to come, when they say, What what is this that you're doing? that you will say to them, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. So, that is the plan that. As we go forward, we're going to keep these holy days every year, and people will be born in the future that have no idea. And as they get older and begin to keep these customs, they're going to say, why are we doing this? And that's a teaching moment, so that they will never forget that it was the Lord, through strength of hand, who released them from the powerful bondage of Egypt. So how did they do? Well, let's fast forward to chapter 32. So they're now out of Egypt, and they are going to be keeping their feasts to the Lord, and they're going to enter a covenant with God. Chapter 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed his coming, down from out of the bounce. The people gathered themselves together. It says unto Aaron, might be better translated against Aaron. They're they're waiting. Moses is taking his time. They've got a better idea. So now they're going to confront Aaron and say, we can't wait. Let's get on with this. So they confront Aaron and said to him, get up and make us gods. We've got a a plan. You You get yourself together And make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. He's just gone. He's just, something's wrong. And we've got a better idea. So then Aaron complies. Sometimes difficult to lead people who don't want to be led. So he's like, okay. Tell you what. Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron, and he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up. Out of the land of Egypt, unbelievable. So God, through His miraculous, powerful hand, releases them from the bondage of Egypt, and no sooner are they released from the bondage, and, and God designs a plan that generations later, Israel will be will have children born to them that will be keeping these customs. That will say, Why are we doing this? And they'll be taught. Because by strength of hand God released us from the bondage of Egypt. Instead, they can't even wait for Moses to come back. And not only do they not wait for Moses to come back, they have Aaron fashion the very God that Egypt was worshiping the bull with the golden disc, the sun in the middle of, of the the horns the crescent moon, and sun, Nimrod, and Semiramis. So the very nation that should have been established as a counterculture to all of these nations that have followed Nimrod, that very nation says, we have the same God. That this is the God. The God that was oppressing us in Egypt is the God that took us out of Egypt. That's what they're teaching the nation. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 51. So, we know now that Israel was a complete failure. And God is now working with spiritual Israel. And we in fact keep these holy days so that we can teach our children about God's mighty hand to deliver. But in the same way that Israel, physical Israel, was a counterculture to the Babylonian concept that went into all nations even though they spoke different languages and so they had different names for the religion and different names for the gods but it's the same concept that went everywhere except Israel. Now that's the case with us. That spiritually, as spiritual Israel we have to understand we're living in a world that the Babylonian concept is everywhere. It's everywhere. Except where it should not be is spiritual Israel. But look at this in Jeremiah 51 and verse 5. This is the world that we are living in. A prophecy here. Jeremiah 55, 51 and verse 5. For Israel has not been forsaken nor Judah of his God of the Lord of hosts. Though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. And I think this is a very interesting passage uh, from the Islamic perspective. So, if the Prophet Muhammad comes on the scene and says, I'm the last prophet of God and it's my job to convert the Jews to Islam and if they don't accept my offer, then I slaughter them. And so, we have this Muslim movement that's out to slaughter the children of Judah. Well... That can't be the same God that authored this passage. Because he says here, Israel has not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. God is faithful. God has a covenant with Israel. Yes, they broke the covenant, but God is still faithful. And he has a plan for Israel that we see right up to the book of Revelation. So this concept that that God has turned his back on Israel and Judah and just wants to destroy them, we can't accept that. It's not the same God. Verse 6. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. So so Babylon is going to be destroyed. Let's not be caught up in it because it will be cut off. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. So the Lord's vengeance is coming. Babylon will be destroyed. He will render unto her a recompense. Look at this in verse 7. Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand. Notice this. That made all the earth drunk. The whole earth. So when we read that passage that uh, Satan has deceived the whole world. Now we know how. He's made the whole world drunk with the wine of Babylon. So whatever this powerful tyrant did back in Genesis 11, he laid the foundation for all these civilizations. So it's not that there is some falsehood mixed into these different civilizations. It's that their very foundation is false. That's what we see now. And so the deception runs deep. It runs right into the foundation. It's in every aspect of every fabric of every society. So, that this this Babylon made all the earth drunk. And notice this. This is the part I want to focus on. The nations drunk or drank her wine. So they accepted her doctrine. They drank it. Therefore, the nations are mad. The nations are mad. I know we feel sophisticated. I know it feels cool to have the latest technology. And we feel smart. God's assessment is we're drunk and we're mad. All nations. And I've been doing some work with our nation, Canada, the government of Canada, in our major cities, for youth mental health. We have a problem. We have a big problem. Our young people are in trouble. Mental health issues, it's epidemic. To the point of suicidal episodes, and many of them successful. So we've developed a society that seems sophisticated on the outside, looks pretty on the outside, and it's destroying the children. And great, we're we're gathering some of the smartest people together. So this initiative is bringing together uh, government, academia, business, Healthcare providers, as well as some of the patients, in a collaborative effort to try to figure out, and really fundamentally, what technologies can we develop to give to the kids to help them with their mental health issues. Wonderful. I applaud it. I'm happy to be a part of it. But really, is technology the answer? Is is an app that you can download on your phone the answer to mental health? We're we're dealing with symptoms here. The problem is the structure of society. We've we've developed a society that is hostile to children. It it robs children of childhood. And then we want to run around and build apps so they don't commit suicide. Something's terribly wrong here. Look at Revelation 17, and let's compare this. So, let's fast forward to the end. So we're we're kind of near the end. Let's go to the end. Revelation 17 and verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters. So there's a great whore. And we know now, this is Samaramis. This is the mother of Nimrod. This is the root of, of this, this doctrine that has spread throughout the whole world. And it's a doctrine that is rooted in Pornea. Nimrod started a religion that has to do with fertility. It has to do with Pornea. Sun worship and Pornea, it's all wrapped together. So we're going to see that in all these religions sun worship and Pornea. The great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the leaders of the earth have committed pornea. So all nations are involved in this. And all the kings of the earth have engaged in pornea with this great whore. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of this pornea. So so our leaders have fully bought into this doctrine and they've been feeding it to us and we're all mad. We have societies that have just gone crazy. If you you could just step back well no, not us because I think it's too hard for us. If we could resurrect somebody pre-flood somebody who was righteous before the flood and then have them just come into our society and we'll be the tour guide. And we're just going to explain to them how we operate. I I don't think they could digest what we do. But we've kind of just grown accustomed to it. But the evaluation we see from God is we're drunk on this wine of pornea. So our leaders have committed pornea with her and then they've made the whole earth All the inhabitants of the earth drunk with this wine. So he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy. So this woman is extreme. Having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. And having a golden cup in her hand that was full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So that's what she's got. So she's got something to offer. And what she has to offer is abomination and filthiness. And upon her forehead was written mystery. So let me ask you, if something is a mystery, is it well known? Or is it more, would you say, if if something's a mystery, and on this side we have well-known, and everybody is aware, and on this side we have secret, and only a few people are aware. If I have something that's a mystery, which side should I put it on? I think the secret side. So all the inhabitants are drunk with something that is a mystery. They don't know what they're doing. But the leaders know. Because they're committing fornication. They're they're, they're in union. But it's on the mystery side. And so we see this mystery Babylonian religion through the years, from the beginning. It always had levels. That only if you were initiated could you come into the next level. And only when you were at the highest levels do you really know what it's all about. You have to be proven worthy to be able to receive the knowledge. So it's a mystery, this Babylon the Great mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. And notice verse 6. So not only is it hostile to the children, it has a specific focus. And I saw the the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. So she makes the world drunk with her doctrine, but she's drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. This this was amazing. This this woman and what she has accomplished. It was awesome. And John was just he was in admir- he was in awe of this woman. So this is the world we're in. We see Nimrud in the news, so we know this really was established by Nimrod thousands of years ago. There's evidence. It's being destroyed, but there is evidence. We know that Nimrod established an ideology that was political and religious together. And with that, he was a tyrant. So he was able to establish his kingdom over many, many people with this political, religious system. And we see that Satan has used this to conquer the whole world. The whole world is drunk and gone mad with this Babylonian concept. And it is in this context that we're going into the Holy Days to celebrate the mighty hand of God, to release us from the bondage of the devil, And when our children ask, why do you do this, we should have an answer. In fact, God wants to make sure that the next generation is well-schooled in what this is all about so that you, in turn, can school the next generation after you. So I'd like to spend some time today talking to our youth and, and, and talking to the youth about specifically Jesus Christ, our Passover. And and your relationship with Christ. You're in a society, if I can just use kind of common language, that doesn't like you very much. You're in a society that wants to destroy you. You're in a society that takes pleasure in corrupting you and robbing you of your childhood. And you know, it's really funny. We listened yesterday We had this young lady who failed in her attempt to commit suicide. And so she is now an ambassador of youth mental health. She's found purpose in her life. And she shares her story about what happened to her and how she had nobody that she could talk to and her whole journey. But it was interesting to listen to her and some others. All the medications all the technology, all of these interventions, what really helped her the most was having someone she could talk to. Community. Community. And I think we don't need more technology. We need community. If we could provide environments that are friendly for our children, that are supportive for our children, we'd see a lot of these mental health issues go away. So I think you know, what we're doing here and what our young people are doing, you, you're very much builders of this community as we are. Uh, you, you're helping us to build this. Not only does it keep you healthy, it keeps us healthy because we're doing work with seniors as well. And again, all the work that they're trying to do with seniors, what's coming out and what I'm hearing is community. That, that's what they need. They're, they're alone. They need connection. So we're in a world that's hostile to our young people. Wants to destroy you. Wants to put flashing lights in front of you. Wants to put false hope in front of you. Wants to pretend to be your friend and then rejoice in your destruction. We let me say this as well. This Babylon mystery religion is a mystery. You have to earn your way To learn what it's really all about. God's way is open. What we know, we teach openly. We put it on the internet. We're not hiding anything. What we know, you know. And as we learn, we teach it. So I think you have to have this ability to to discern. Who's really for you? Who really supports you? And who wants to destroy you? even though they might smile in your face. So let's look at Exodus 12. Let's look at the original Passover. Exodus 12 and verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses... And Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So their year is now to begin in the spring. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel Shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So on the two <coughs> posts and then on the upper beam as well. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. It really doesn't feel like unleavened bread is around the corner. But it really is around the corner. So I think whenever I think of deleavening, I feel warm spring weather. Uh, It's going to be hard to be deleavening when it's so cold out. But we're in that season where we should be now having a plan to deleaven our homes and, and begin eating, changing our diet to unleavened bread. Let's drop down verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. So this is the night when the judgment will be on Egypt. Just as we know judgment is coming on Babylon. And will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt. So all these gods of Egypt they're the gods of Babylon it's the same Babylonian religion, just now it's a different language because God confused the language. So Osiris, Iris, uh, Horus, Ra, all of these gods, same gods of Babylonians, just different names now that they're in Egypt. And so God will have judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this is where the name Passover comes from. So when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this judgment is coming, and this is the one thing that will prevent the judgment, the the, the blood on the doorposts. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So when we look at this verse 14, he says, You shall keep this a feast throughout your generations, an ordinance forever. Would it make sense to you that children need to learn about this feast? Because they, 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 this is forever. So it's a one-time event. God is judging Egypt. But then they're to keep this forever. So that means, I think, the people who were there are going to die. But they're going to have children that survive them. And they're going to have children. And they're going to have children. But this should still be kept. So therefore there has to be some teaching along the way and some acceptance of the teaching along the way for Israel to keep this feast through their generations. Let me ask you this. Obviously there were children in ancient Israel at this time. I think that's clear. Did the children have to put blood on the doorpost? Do you think no, why not? Was't their house exactly, so the head of the household that's his responsibility. Find the lamb, wait till the fourteenth, slay the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and then roast the lamb. The children of that household. if they were firstborn children and the head of the household didn't do that exercise of putting blood on the doorposts they would suffer they would die they they would be stricken with the plague if the head of the household did do it they would be protected so very much the children are in the care of the parents And if the parents are negligent, the children will suffer. If the parents are doing their duty, the children will be protected. Now, what if just before this event, there was a young person who crossed over into adulthood, decided to move out, maybe get married, maybe just move out and establish his own household. And he just thought, It's just so ridiculous. But he was a firstborn. And so he's now a young person with his own household. The father and the children that remain, they have blood on their doorposts. But this young person does not. What then? Do you think that God would pass over them because they're still part of this family? Or do you think that they would be at risk? what do you think? Is going to die? Is at risk? Yeah. So so now you've established your own household. You have to now have a relationship with God. And and you have to fulfill the requirements of that relationship. So so there is a point where the children are looked after by the parents as part of the household. But hopefully they're learning as they go. And and when they go out and establish their own household, they then have a relationship with God. And, And they would also be passed over. I think clearly that's the way God would intend this to occur. So that was the ancient or original Passover. We heard from Landon today reading that Christ is our Passover today. And he sacrificed for us. Uh, sorry uh, let's go there actually first Corinthians 5 verse 7 um, what Landon read I'll come to in a minute first Corinthians 5 in fact let's do this let's put three scriptures together and then let's just sort of reason with these three scriptures when they come together the first one is first Corinthians 5 and verse 7, purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So we have a Passover, and our Passover is Christ. Okay, So that's scripture number one. So Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Let's go to scripture number two, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14. This is the one that Landon read, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. So the first scripture we see, we are holy because Christ is our Passover. So he enables us to have a relationship with God that we wouldn't otherwise have. So we have our Passover. Then we see in this scripture, our children are holy. Once they're in the household of faith, God sees our children as holy. Meaning, to our youth, you are set apart. You're not like the rest of the youth of the world. God sees you as set apart, part of his divine plan. That this plan is generational. It is intended to go from one generation to the next. So once God calls the head of a household, or part of a household, whether the husband or the wife, automatically he includes the children in that calling. That's what this is showing us. Let's now go to Revelation 18. Again, let's go to the end of the story. Revelation 18 and verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. You see, it was so bright. And he cried mightily with a strong voice. So this was something he really wanted the world to know. So so the You can imagine the world, has part of it is in night, part of it is in day. But when this angel appears, it brightens the earth. Then he shouts with such a strong voice that it's unmistakable. This is important. And what does he say? Babylon the Great is fallen. Isn't this amazing? So Babylon was founded thousands of years ago. And and now we fast forward maybe 5,000 years from its founding, and it's finally falling. Which means its extent right now. It means when Babylon was established, it never fell. It's everywhere. That's that's why God calls this world Babylon. Because it never fell. It's all over the world. This is when it falls. It falls in the future. And the angel announces it in such a way that it wants the whole world to know Babylon has finally fallen. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. It became the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit. I'm not making this up. It's here in the text. The whole world is drunk on this Babylonian doctrine. And the whole world has become the habitation of devils and every foul spirit. They're here. We don't see them. They're spiritual. We see each other. We're physical. But they're here. This, this, this Babylonian system is attractive and run by we know from Ephesians 2, we we don't battle with flesh and blood, but with principalities. It is run by these foul spirits. It's a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. That's what Babylon is. But it's finally going to fall. Verse 3. All nations, we see this again. Every single nation. There's only one nation that was not drunk with Babylonian doctrine and that was Israel. And they voluntarily drank the wine. So now really there's only one nation that is not drunk with this wine and that is spiritual Israel. That's it. Otherwise the whole earth is voluntarily drinking. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't say that because maybe some of it is there being forcefully Forced, they're being forced to drink this. All the leaders are in bed with the whore. And all the inhabitants of the earth have to drink the wine, whether they like it or not. But spiritual Israel should not. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So this, they're, they're all coming under the wrath of God. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, or porneia with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So we know it's a political system. We know it's a religious system. And what we're seeing here, it, it is also a commercial system, that, that people work commercially through this system as well. And, and it's no surprise that you know, Christmas, when it's that time to worship the sun in that part of its orbit, uh, this is uh, a, a very a commercial success. People do very well commercially through these periods. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Put the blood on your doorposts. Have nothing to do with her. Because wrath is coming, destruction is coming on her. You don't want to be a part of it. Everybody's drunk of the wrath. Or the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Don't drink the wine. Don't drink the doctrine. Because the wrath is coming. The judgment is coming. For all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed uh, pornea with her. And the merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying. So first there was this very loud voice from the angel Then there's another voice from heaven. Is this God's voice? Is it another angel? We're not sure, but it certainly is a voice that cares about us. And it says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So we see that Christ is our Passover. We see that there is wrath. And judgment coming on the earth, the whole earth. But Christ is our Passover. We don't have this wrath. He's our propitiation. Because of Christ's blood, we are not subject to God's wrath. And then we also see that our children are holy. So our children are, are not subject to this wrath either. They are holy. God has uh, designs, God has a purpose for our young people. But young people don't stay young. Young people age. We age. We're all aging. And at some point, our young people, you're no longer under the the protective arm of your parents. And, And so you have a choice to make at this stage. What wine will you drink? So here's the offer. Wine number one, the wrath of her fornication, the great whore that the whole world is drinking. Wine number two, the blood of Christ, the Passover. You have to drink one. You don't have a choice. Because all the inhabitants of the earth are forced to drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Only God's people have the wherewithal to say, no thanks. I'm not drinking that. I know what that is. I have Passover wine that I'm going to drink. Anybody drinks that, they're subject to the destruction, the the plagues of God. I'm taking the blood so that that this wrath will pass over. And so... Our young people we're asking you to know Christ to know Christ as you study your Bible as you study the Gospels that's a great place to start read the Gospels and get to know this person who came in the flesh and now resides with God the Father What was his character? What's he like? What's his perception of children? Does he care for you? Does he care for your parents? Does it matter to him whether you're happy or not? I think you need to know who this Christ is. I, when I was your age, My grandmother bought me a Bible, and she wanted me to know Christ. And I laughed. I said, I've looked into that. I said to her, I don't want to know about your fables. That's what I called it, fables. Little did I know that eight years later, I would become a Christian. And not only become a Christian, but a Christian that's willing to die for Christ. A Christian that loves Christ. What is it about this being that makes him so beautiful? That makes people willing to die for him, to do anything for him? Who is he? So I think as you decide which wine will you drink, it would be good to know Christ and have a relationship with him. Look at Mark 10. Gospel of Mark, a gospel that's really focused on the the actions of Christ, a gospel that's directed to the Romans, who are very action-oriented people. So you'll read Mark, it's going to be very concise, and it's going to be very action-oriented. You'll learn a lot about what Christ did in in the uh, Gospel of Mark. Look at Mark 10. beginning in verse 14, it says, But when Jesus saw it, so they were driving the children away, his disciples were. And when he saw this, he was angry. This, this really upset him. That the disciples, the children were trying to approach Christ. And the disciples intercepted them and were driving them away. And this Jesus Christ, his mind is on children. He cares for children. And when he saw the disciples driving them away, he was upset. And he said to them, allow the children to come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. There's something special about children that the devil wants to destroy, and Christ wants to preserve. So we have children committing suicide at alarming rates. And those that are not committing suicide are performing self-harm at alarming rates. And those that are not performing self-harm, they're engaged in Facebook envy. They're looking at the highlight reel of all these other people, which is false. It's the highlight reel. And they're thinking, my life is garbage. And they're sinking into depression. And all of this has been designed in a hostile environment to destroy youth. And God says, youth of such is the kingdom of God. There's something special about youth that we as adults have to remember and have to reclaim because this is what the kingdom of God is all about. And notice again, the Gospel of Mark about Christ's actions, what he did. Verse 16, he took them up in his arms. So the disciples were driving them away. Christ took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. This is Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Don't do anything through strife. Don't do anything through vainglory to try to boost your ego. Rather, in lowliness of mind, with humility, let each esteem others better than themselves. So, this is the way we should conduct ourselves. It's not that, you know, I'm going to come into a congregation and try to convince everybody how great I am. No, that's not Christianity. I'm going to come into a congregation and recognize how great God's people are and, and, and esteem you better than myself. Therefore, if you're better than me, I should be willing to sacrifice my time, my resources, for the one that's better. If I'm better than you, then I'm going to extract from you your resources. But if you're better than me, I'm going to give up my resources for you. I appreciated the sensitivity of, of young girls in your prayers speaking about the time that Jennifer gave up to put the study together. Uh, I thought that was very sensitive. And uh, I was impressed. Most people have no idea. But that's what we do for each other. We sacrifice for each other. Esteeming others better than ourselves. Where do we get this from? It says verse 4. Don't look on your own things. Instead, also look on the things of others. How do we do that? Verse 5. Let this mind be in you. The mind, that, the mind of Jesus Christ. So in getting to know Christ, we need to understand how his mind works. And this is the mind that was in him. Even though he was God, he saw you as better than himself. Even though he was God, he was willing to sacrifice himself for you. This is Christ. This is who this is. Verse 6, Who being in the form of God didn't think it's something to be held on to and coveted to be equal with God. Instead, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a slave and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of crucifixion. This is Christ. This is who wants to have a relationship with you. We could also do a study on the devil and see what his mind is like because he also wants to have a relationship with you. He's dying to have a relationship with you because he's got a relationship with everybody else and he knows who's not his yet and he doesn't like that. So it would be good to study his mind so you can see, like, do I want to have a relationship with that or do I want to have a relationship with this kind of mind? this is who's calling you let's conclude with one passage it's a longer passage but we'll we'll go, just go through this passage together actually we won't we, we're almost concluding i'll shorten this passage so that i can touch on a couple of other passages romans 4 Romans 4, a letter written by Paul to the Romans, which is a foundational letter. So he really lays out the doctrines of the church to the Romans. And so this is a great book to read to kind of understand the fundamentals of Christianity. But, but here's a fundamental that we can pick up here in verse, uh, chapter 4. Speaking of uh, Abraham and and his faithfulness, beginning in verse 8, he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So, blessed is the man who comes under the Passover. And that's what we want for our young people. We, We want you to be in this category of people who are blessed because when the judgment of God comes on this sick world, The world has gone mad. It really has. It's gone crazy. It's drunk. And it's not going to be drunk forever. God is going to exercise judgment. When he does, blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin. Blessed is the man that has taken the blood of Christ and drank it. And has the Passover. We want our young people to be in this category. Does this blessing, this blessedness, then, does it come upon the circumcision only? So you were studying about the law earlier today. Is it only Israel that have performed circumcision that this blessing comes upon? Or does it come to the uncircumcision, the Gentiles also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So so the argument that he's making here is, yes, Abraham was circumcised. But his righteousness didn't come from the fact that he circumcised. His righteousness came from faith. And he exercised that faith before circumcision. In other words, what's the relevance for us? To say that, we could say You know, are you blessed because you're baptized? Well, you can be blessed before you're baptized by exercising faith. So if you get to know Christ and you exercise faith in Christ, the fact that you're not yet baptized, God is going to count you as righteous. So righteousness is by faith. And and Abraham was counted righteous by faith. Verse 10. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Abraham was righteous before he was circumcised because he exercised faith. He believed God. He understood this God that he had a building relationship. The whole world, his world, was immersed in Nimrod's religion, in Babylonian religion. His own family were Babylonian worshipers, worshipping the gods of Babylon. Abraham got to know God and believed in the character of God. And God counted that as righteousness. In verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had, yet being uncircumcised. So circumcision, yes, it's an act of of religious, it's a religious act, but it was given to him as a sign of his faith, which he exercised when he was uncircumcised. I think for young people, this is very powerful. This says that you can have a relationship with Christ before being baptized, and God can count you righteous before the outward manifestation of your agreement and your commitment with him. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. That righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Let's drop down to verse 16. Therefore it is of faith That it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So God is angry. What is happening on the earth? We don't know. There are things happening. We're we're naive. We don't know what's going on. But stuff is going on with young people. And God is angry. But we can have peace with God. We, We don't have to fall under this wrath. Therefore, being justified by wrath, we have peace with God through our Passover, through our Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. And our young people as well. You have access by faith into this grace. It's yours. You're part of the household. Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse eleven, uh, chapter five, verse eleven. Well, verse ten. Notice this. The, again, this is the Christ. This is the being that wants to have a relationship with you. That wants to have a relationship with me. Remember, I rejected Christ. I, I thought I thought Christianity was laughable. That was the most ridiculous thing. And again, it was false Christianity. In my defense, it was false Christianity that was presented to me. But I still rejected Christianity. I wanted nothing to do with it. It says here in verse 10, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So this is the mind of Christ. We can hate him. And he would still give up the Godhead and suffer and die for us to reconcile us to God. This is Christ. So while we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And, and the scripture tells us that not only are we reconciled, our children are also reconciled. So if, as the head of my household, while I was the enemy of Christ... He came, suffered and died for me as an enemy of his. Now I'm reconciled. How much more will he do for me as being reconciled to him? And therefore how much more for my my children are operating from this position of already being reconciled to God because God says they're holy. How much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. So Christ is alive. And he wants to save you as the living savior. Even if you, even if we were enemies, he would be reconciling us. Now we are in the reconciliation, and he's living. And his will is to have a relationship with you. And have you drink his blood. So you're not old enough yet. But I think where you are, you want to make this commitment not to drink the the wine of Babylon and to prepare yourself to drink the wine of Christ. And you're just in that stage now where lots of offers are coming your way. Lots of options are coming your way. And believe me, and I guess for us parents as well, we need to be thinking like this. Will our children choose the right wine? And what can we do to encourage you to choose the right wine? Because the world is mad. And it's it's mad because it's drunk on the wrong wine. Let's go back to Genesis 11. Genesis 11 and verse 5. Remember last week I said that we – I can't help it. When I look back in time, I look back with a downward glance because we have this evolutionary theory baked into our minds that we believe somehow we're better today than they were years ago. But I'm forcing myself to rethink and to have some respect for people that lived thousands of years ago. And we saw here in verse 5, God had respect for them. The creator had respect for what they were doing. He he was impressed and thought, I better do something about this. What what they're doing is significant. I I, I need to interrupt this. So if God had respect for them, I think I should have respect for them. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Which the children of men built. And the Lord said. Behold. The people. Are one. So they have the same. Ideology. Nimrod's ideology. So they all agree. Nimrod we agree with you. Your ideas are our ideas. And we want to build this tower for you. And they have all one language. And this is what they begin to do. So this is, this is not good. When, when we have a tyrant and all the people speak the same language and have the same ideology as the tyrant and they group together and the tyrant is against me, this is what they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them. In other words, they are fully bought into the devil's ideology. And the devil is helping them. And because of that supernatural help, nothing will be withheld from them. Now, nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. And we know prior to the flood, every imagination of their heart was evil. And, and now it's being empowered. That evil imagination is being empowered by the fact that they're all united. They're all under this tyrant. Go to, let us go down and confuse their language. That they may not understand one another's speech. So he didn't say, let's take the ideology away from he just said, let's confuse the language. So, so now they are spread out with that. They were interrupted, but they all have the same ideology. It's all the same. The whole world has, is drinking the same wine, same doctrine. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Here's an article from January 2015. Speaking of Google Translate, this may not be what the future looks like exactly, but Google is promising instant universal translation, coming soon to a holiday near you. Google's Translate app has now incorporated the function from a viral startup it purchased last year. Allowing users to point their phone's camera at words in another language only to see them replaced in their original context on screen. So you can download this app. And if you didn't speak English, you point your phone at this sign. And if you speak Spanish, you would see the sign with the font exactly. And this is, this is available now. You can download this app now. You point your phone there. And it would immediately, tra- instantly translate this into Spanish. If I speak French, I would point it. I would see the same sign in French. So this is available now. And they're going to build on this technology. And I've tried it. It's amazing. So download Go- Google, Google Translate. It's now an option in Google Translate. So when I'm traveling overseas, that's what, I'll, that's what I'll use. Any sign, I just point my phone at the sign. I see the sign, but I'll see it in English. Instead of German or Italian or whatever the translation is. So remember, these people were interrupted. They all have the same ideology. They just can't communicate with each other. But when they could communicate with each other, all under one tyrant, God had respect. And he said, look at what they begin to do. And he, he moved the same God that we know loves children, loves humanity. He was concerned about what would happen if all of mankind is under a tyrant with the same ideology. And what we see now is the technology that is eliminating this barrier of language. So the scripture tells us that the whole world is drinking the wine from Babylon. They just have different languages. Now we're gonna have all the same language All under the great horror. All against God. That's what's in our future. So, we need to steal ourselves. And let's conclude in Psalm 119. We need to steal ourselves. Something is coming. This, What we see in Genesis 11 was interrupted. It wasn't stopped. It was interrupted. And what we see in Genesis 11 is this concept is all over the world. And we see in Revelation, we fast forward to the future, God says it's all over the world. And it's the habitation of every foul spirit. Every unclean demon is enjoying this. And God said when they all had one language, this they begin to do. So we have all these foul spirits, unclean demons, the cage of every foul bird, they're all here. And now the people are learning how to speak one language and be under one tyrant. And we saw what they began to do. And now they're going to complete it. And we are that one small nation that when they offer us the wine, we say, no thanks. We've got Passover wine. We'll drink that. And now the offer is to our young people. Do you see what's happening in this world? You're born into it. Can you see what's happening? And do you have the perception and the courage to say no thanks when this wine of madness is offered to you? And to say, I'm getting to know my Savior. I'm preparing. I can't wait to take the Passover wine. But until then, I know that God sees me as faithful because he saw Abraham as faithful before circumcision. And I'm part of the household of faith. Let's conclude in Psalm 119 where we see here David writing in a way that's very relevant to young people. And very relevant to us today in the midst of this world gone mad. Psalm 119 verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Who walk in the law of the Lord. So there's a blessing if we walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. That seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways, in his ways. In the midst of a world gone mad, there's a nation, a spiritual nation, that has a spiritual law and walks in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all your commandments. And a lot of people are going to be ashamed. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned your righteous judgments. So this is for a young person coming up. Let's learn his righteous judgments so that we can praise him with uprightness of heart. I will keep your statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Verse 9. Wherewithal. How? shall a young person cleanse his way or cleanse her way how can a young in a world that's gone mad that's just that's drunk and and eats her children and corrupts her children how can a young person grow up in this world and not be corrupted we find the answer in the scriptures how shall a young person cleanse his way By taking heed thereto according to your word. So Christ says, Suffer the little children, allow the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. And so for our young people, we have one question Which wine will you drink? This has been a podcast from the Burlington congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.